0: So what I noticed about this first episode, Time to Stand, is that – so the previously on uh, bit goes and it ends by saying, and now the continuation rather than, uh, and now the conclusion, which is something that we've had at a two-parters, which uh, is – it w- that was very cool to me because uh, obviously the first episode ends still on a cliffhanger. The ship is now disabled and in space and – the, we we had said last week we aren't sure if they are going to you know how quickly this is going to be resolved. Well, I'm, you're not sure. I'm not sure how. I'm sure. Well, I'm not sure how quickly this is going to be resolved. But the fact that uh, we have now two episodes and it's very, I, I think it's very clear from these two episodes that no, this is what the show is for a little while. Cisco's being going to be off and doing actual. Uh, You know, on the actual front for a little while. And meanwhile, you know, Kira is going to have plot lines where she's, I guess, beginning to form the the new resistance and those kind of things. So this is they're going to hang here for a little bit. Uh, there is a lot of dramatic stuff that they're going to be able to pull out of these.
1: Yes. And so uh, a couple things with that. I think – well, number one, let's not forget that way back in the second
0: season they also did this because well, we had
1: the three-parter with – But the thing uh, is – And it did say
0: continuation. So that's – th- But the third episode it said and now the conclusion. Well, sure. Yeah. We I didn't mean, get that actually on the second episode here.
1: No, I know we didn't. That's what I'm saying though is like it's, it's a step – further yes. down the
0: road of making this serialized
1: and this these two episodes in particular are structured a lot more like television nowadays than they were like television in 1997
0: yes uh the the second episode in particular has a strong episodic plot but uh they they are all oh, neither of these episodes would make any sense for if we didn't know really what was going on to here there are too many Plot lines they're dealing with. There's yes. too many characters. They're paying off too much.
1: Yes, exactly. Um, now I will say though that you know one of the things about about uh, the the sixth season in general and sort of the beginning of the sixth season is that you know it is very much a status quo change. It is very much a change in the way that the show um, is is actually structured. You know yes. because of course everyone is is in different places. Kira and Odo are still on the station as is Quark and Jake, but they're all in different places. Maybe not, maybe not Quark necessarily, but everybody else is. And it also is kind of a difference because you don't get to see what the beginning of the war was like. You know, you come back and it's three months later. Yeah. So we know that the war is not going well so far. They say that outright. Um, Starfleet is losing essentially. What that that is what is happening, and so you're left with the question of you know where is this going where is this going yeah. to go and also i think as well i mean you know speaking as someone who who this is your first time uh experiencing a lot of this uh, star trek is you don't know how long this is going to go on for yeah and really what the question that i have for you is looking at your star trek experience so far this is a change certainly this is a very ballsy move yeah but also do you think this is going to like i'm not just talking about this particular ds9 is in the hands of the dominion plot line because obviously that's not going to be what the show is like for the next two seasons no but but I, but I, i i i would the war itself is a change mm-hmm. do you think that's going to last for a long time do you think the war is going to be resolved in you know the middle of this season
0: i mean i if i were plan, my, my instinct on how to how one would plan this is that it would be in other words maybe half of this season is going to be based on getting back to ds9 or even the full season um while the war and I figured the war might even end a few episodes before the end of the series. Mm-hmm. I mean it could last that long. I don't think that this is certainly I I ask this question
1: not to make well, you look bad because no. because you're I'm not going to say if you're right or wrong, but I, I will say that, you know, it's more just indicative of of kind of something I'm trying to get at, which is that Deep Space Nine is a very assured show at this point and, you know, Iris Stephen Bear uh is doing and of course, I don't want to, you know, Iris Stephen Bear is doing you know, good stuff. I mean, I don't want to discount the the influence of you know yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert Hewitt Wolf and Ronald D Moore and and people like that as well. But it is doing something very different, and it is doing it in a way which is uh, uh, not comfortable. I think for for people that grew up on the Next Generation,
0: for example. Well, certainly. I mean. Again, I have no idea how long this is going to go off, but number 1 But the very fact I think t- to me I think it does make sense that they're going to retake DS9 before the war ends, like that's not that's not the final goal of the war. Anyway, right. that's not going to defeat the Dominion. It's, but the
1: very fact that you're not sure how long this yeah, is going to go on for is a pr- is a pretty fundamental change in the structure of a Star Trek television series. I mean,
0: all of it is too kind of big to resolve quickly, particularly if Again, Kira's getting into the point where she's going to now be leading and creating a new resistance. So yeah. that, that's a big plot. That's not one episode. That's right. and again, for, just in terms of the drama they'll be able to wring out of it. Uh, they can get a good half dozen easily.
1: It's you know, it's funny too, because there's a lot of stuff that I mean I'm actually I mean, I I joke about Voyager sometimes, but I'm actually really excited to get to Voyager because I, I do think that both Voyager and Enterprise are a little bit discounted by the fandom in general. And, you know, they're certainly not I don't want to say that they're anywhere near as good as 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 The Next Generation or or Deep Space Nine, but they do have their pleasures, they do have their their things that they're good at. Um and there are some really good episodes of those shows and some good storylines. But really what it comes down to is I think when we get to Voyager, I think we'll probably have to have a conversation about Iris Stephen Bear and what he was able to accomplish mm. on Deep Space Nine under the structures of Rick Berman and Paramount. Because, you know, it's not, it, it, it was not a secret that Paramount was not exactly thrilled at the yeah. direction the show was going in. You know, they didn't like the Bejor stuff. They kind of, you know, put uh, the Klingons by Diktat on high.
0: It's funny how Paramount, Deep, Deep Space Nine is beginning to seem like a show that was done in spite of Paramount, what Paramount. Oh, it, it very because,
1: much was. And yeah,
0: it's because all of those decisions are uh, uh, the Bejor stuff is some of what I find the most interesting and, and resonant bits about it. The this this status quo change with the war at the end is, is fascinating. Um, and I
1: think that you know, it, it, you know, I don't want to go too far down a road of talking about about Voyager, but I think that the last thing I'll say about that before we you know kind of talk more about these two episodes is that. Really, what it comes down to, I think, is that when you look at Voyager, what you see is a show that was very much uh, fucked with hmm. um, by the by the powers that be. Um, I think, in response to Deep Space Nine, yeah, in a way. So there's that.
0: Again, I can see how this would be a controversial decision given where now. For example, Star Trek Discovery, one can assume that it will be able to make changes that are this sweeping at the end of a season or something like that. Uh Oh yeah. it will be it will be planned with these kind of character arcs and frankly that's the kind of television that people expect nowadays, but again given as we've talked about this is kind of a transitional show in many ways, I can see how a lot of people would feel because again it's it's true these two episodes if you don't really know what's going on. They're not just, it's not an episode you can casually watch.
1: No, certainly not. And I think that, you know, well, let, I mean, let's talk about a time to stand because I do think that, you know, like I said, the war is not going to be resolved quickly. The war is definitely a status quo change. You know, yes, the, the, it's kind of divided into two parts, of course, because you have the status quo change of Deep Space Nine, uh, not being under Federation control that I think your instinct that that is going to be resolved before the war is, plotline is resolved is is, is spot on. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't think that that's really a shock. Structurally, it just seems to make Structurally, sense. Structurally, it just seems to make sense. But what it does with, I think, keeping the characters in a very, very depressed place for most of yeah. the time to stand, you know... Cisco is definitely... For
0: both of them, frankly, but... Well,
1: for everybody, yeah. I mean, we'll talk about Keir's plotline in, in Rocks and Shoals because, whoa. Yeah. But, you know, it is something where you look at it and you say, we have never seen Starfleet, you know, even at like the worst height, the worst depths of the Borg crisis or something, you know, back from best of both worlds. You never really felt like... Starfleet was being this badly damaged yeah, and everybody is so depressed i mean morale you know,
0: is low or non-existent yeah yeah
1: but you know bashir well this is the other thing i talked about when um,
0: i see what you mean about the dataization of yes. bashir and it's very done and very inconsistently well and part
1: it's, part of it is that bashir, uh, uh alexander sitting uh purposefully and he has said this uh, uh, underplayed those lines yeah, and, and protested them because he did not want the character to become that and they stopped writing those kind of lines the, for him pretty quickly. I mean
0: the only way you could partially justify it is that Bashir is fucking with everybody and just doing it you know pretending to be more of a computer just to annoy Garrick in that scene for example but um, yeah but that doesn't seem like what the intention was again it's I'm glad that they don't apparently keep with it because it just but what what does interest me about Bashir's characterization is he is a lot angrier and and just he's not in bro- a good place. You know when we
1: None of them are, really.
0: When we talked about the mirror universe and, you know, I, one of the things was I said that it feels like Bashir is very is, – isn't even remotely like his, uh, his prime universe uh, version. And here we're seeing him channeling that. So I don't know. Both of them are Bashir with no morale and Bashir with no morale is a very angry and kind of off-putting person.
1: Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that It's
0: interesting how that managed to come full circle in a way. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you know, Bashir doesn't even really have that much to do in in a time to stand, mm-hmm. but he makes he makes an impact. You know, yeah. I think really this is to a large degree this isn't any one person's story. This is probably this the is, most ensemble that the show has been in a long time.
0: In a lot of ways it's a catch catch up episode. This is about 2-3 months after the It's 3 months, yeah. Okay. Yeah, after the um after the previous episode and so they want to show us this is what's happened in the past couple of months you know morale's disintegrated you know no one's really
1: the mor- morale is disintegrated the war is not going well starfleet is being decimated um you know they say something about the 7th fleet and that was kind yeah. of their last hope and that was basically destroyed uh martok is not even happy mm. you know martok essentially says we can't keep losing this many ships and you know it is it is i mean it's it's designed very well because in the first like ten minutes of the show, you find out all of this information. It doesn't feel like an it, it doesn't feel like an exposition dump, even though no. it is. And then it goes off into this completely different direction where we've got the core group of of Federation Starfleet officers. You know, Dax, Bashir, Nog, who is still there for some reason. <laughs> Why not? Uh, Cisco and, and 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 O'Brien, and they're off on a Gem Hadar ship trying to blow up their Ketracel weight facility. They're
0: they're there on the ship from the
1: ship. Yes, which
0: I loved that because that that puts a very different spin on the end of that episode. Because I don't know, it's interesting because that that well, that, it really does.
1: It justifies well it,
0: because that episode does leave with the uncomfortableness of can we justify this if this was worth it? You know, should we? E- you know, even though we see that. The 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 capture of that ship ultimately led to a very strong and and demonstrable good. Yeah, you know, um, there is still the fact that people died from that, and that we are. You know, I do remember Dax and Cisco leaving it with the impression of I still feel bad. Well, maybe you should. You know, no yeah. matter no matter how good at the end of the day, people did die to make this victory possible.
1: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And of course, you know. It is worth it, but I think that's really what the show is starting to examine, right? I mean, it, it's starting to look at, yeah, w- war is not great. I mean, we're not really saying anything that profound, but the show will get into no. that,
0: those kinds of questions more and more. Which is why I think it's very interesting that in many ways, and I guess we'll talk about this, Rocks and Shoals is a companion piece to the ship. It's yeah. very, It's a very similar plot in a lot of ways. It it has essentially the same exact cast of characters and yet just twisted in in a much more cruel way, I would say. Yeah. Well we'll get to that but, in a few minutes. Yes. But I
1: think that um I mean I think a time to stand is a little bit of a difficult episode to talk about only because you know, there's not really that much plot to it. It's setting everything up. It's setting everything up. It really is a table setting episode.
0: It's a new pilot in some ways. I don't know well, if I, would go I mean that it, far, but it, 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 it's a mid because it, we again we are reestablishing some stuff being reintroduced. Um, sure, no, it's not completely introducing a new situation and a cast of characters, but it is serving many of those same functions.
1: Well, I think in a weird way, you know, what's more interesting about a time to stand is not the the Jem'Hadar plot and is not with the Jem'Hadar ship plot and is not seeing our Starfleet characters, but is really really seeing what is going on on Deep Space Nine. Yeah because we don't get, we get more information about what is going on on deep space nine in the next episode. In this episode, we really just kind of briefly check in with, you know, Kira and Odo and, uh, uh, and Quark and Jake, you know, and you kind of see the dynamics that are developing, you kind of get a, a an explanation of why— I mean, maybe that came in the next episode, but you kind of get an explanation of why Bajor is kind of okay The Dominion took yeah. over the station, because Wayun says something about, well, this is a Cardassian station, so we're just taking it back. And they're kind of like, what well, are you going to do about that? that you know? the,
0: the, the terms of the non-aggression treaty are very much in the Dominion's favor, because yes. they have the bigger stick. But. Yes. Uh, but I, 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 Jake's bits, I found very interesting because they do give a, it, it, it's a very interesting, not, it, it is true that Jake has a little bit of protection, uh, based on who he is. But at the same time, when he's talking to Wei hoon and Wei Hoon's brushing off all of his questions and then he says, well, you know, I'm not even sending your stories out anyway, so what does it even matter? Um, you know that that's the flip side of it. Jake can't be harmed, but he also isn't taken seriously yet because he can't do anything. He is ultim he is rather than being too important to touch. He's too powerless to touch,
1: yeah, he can't really do anything
0: well, and I think that which i i i I look forward to seeing how he ultimately figures out a way to get his stories out because that is what I assume he's going to be able to be doing right.
1: Well, and I mean structurally speaking, what I like about it too is that you know the episode um, you know starts out with the Starfleet stuff, starts out with Cisco. You know, Cisco has that really nice uh, conversation with his father. Oh yeah, um, pa because Cisco, Sisko. because you know Avery Brooks is uh, is an actor that can be a little over the top, but he does personal stuff very well also. And that scene is so nice because he does a great job of. I think really balancing, you know, telling his father about what happened to Jake um, and, and being frustrated with himself, but also really, I guess, defending himself to his father yeah. at the same time. Saying, and defending well, Jake to his father. Defending too. Jake as well because he's no longer a, a child. And also and
0: defending, then, you know, explaining Jake to himself too because that's, yeah. you know, Cisco doesn't 100% believe yet that, you know, Jake's an adult and this is his decision because it is. His son, But at the, you know, it, it's the kind of thing he knows intellectually, and maybe if he says it enough times, he'll stop worrying.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, you really do buy Pa Sisko and, and, and Captain Sisko and Jake all being a f- mm-hmm. part of a family. They're very believable that way. And and then, of course, you're like, we don't know what's going on with Jake. I'm sure he's fine. And then, of course, the show flips over to Deep Space Nine, and we actually do get to see, see what Jake is doing. And what Jake is doing, essentially, is nothing.
0: Yeah, I mean the scenes where he's with Kira and Odo were were very di- we're very sad almost because they yeah. they you know this is going and again a lot of this was from the next episode but it, it it's questioning whether Kira and Odo in their various positions are are they Quislings? are they puppets of the uh and Jake is in the very unfortunate and difficult position of these people that he knows very well and trusts uh are doing something he feels is wrong, and frankly from their perspective J- you know Jake, who is as close of a piece of Cisco as any of them have at this moment uh is calling them out on their shit in a way that they well can... he does
1: that in the next episode so yeah that's, that's
0: fair but yeah i I think
1: that. <sighs> Odo's plotline is interesting in this episode because mm. he's really coming to terms with. I, you know, it's funny because I think that a lot in a lot of ways, Kira and Odo are being reversed. You know, Kira was always the hothead, the fiery one; she was the resistance fighter. Yeah, you know, Odo was kind of the 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 guy who was keeping order, and and now Odo doesn't have anything to do, right? Because he doesn't have his security forces, and Kira's is the one who's sort of like, oh, "You gotta calm down. You gotta keep, th-, you know." And it is very much the kind of thing that. I think in a way, you know, it's it's kind of following up on their conversation from Call to Arms where Odo tells her that he's not going to ask her out and you know they're gonna keep that aside. Now they're in this really I mean intimate situation, this really dramatic situation, this really stressful situation. They're really having to rely on each other because they have no one else on the station.
0: I think it's interesting that yeah, they they in these two episodes they're closer than they've been in a very long time. Yeah. Uh, they they are frankly working together as a couple, which I think is not ins. I that's very deliberate, obviously, but
1: but it's interesting because you know Odo doesn't want to have anything to do with the Cardassians or the Dominion, essentially, and he's very reticent to use his founderness.
0: founderness. Well, just as you know, and this is a nice cross reference to Cisco and his use of uh, emissariness. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the characters in this show or the, 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 this has been a recurrent theme or a character has the right to power but is not sure whether or not using that power is right or whether it's you know or it may be disrespectful or whether you know they have certain moral conflictions about wielding this power, and you know I, so Odo, you know, uses his founderness to get his security force back and I love how Wayun doesn't even, you know, question it for a second. Um Wayoon is fascinating because he mixes some absolute sincerity with just utter insincerity. And I can't tell where one ends and one doesn't begin. Um
1: Well it also makes you I mean, it makes yeah. me
0: wonder to what degree
1: Wayun's genetic programming yeah. to think the founders are gods you know, is, is really is, that a gambit? is really there because yes, he is very deferential to Odo. He is very worshipful of Odo, yeah. I would say, and does immediately agree to Odo wanting his security officers back. But then he immediately turns because on the Vordiness and he's like, Well now i to do something for me.
0: Well yeah, he it, it, it's a nice side effect that he's able to and I love how Kira and Odo are dealing with this and they know it's probably a trap and they know that you know uh, you know they, they they know how well they've been played. It at this point it doesn't matter how genuine his respect for Odo's founderness is. Yeah, uh, he he's got them. They they're exactly where Wayun wants Odo Wei-Odo to be, and Odo does end the episode saying, "Well, I'm going to. I've walked this line before. I know how to, you know, work." i know how to play all sides i can do this and i certainly believe odo is c- is capable of sure, just yeah. as kira and odo believe it but at the same time they do know full well they are still walking into a trap yes Wayun does not is not just giving this out of the kindness of his heart he as they said right now they're working with well that may legitimize their order and that's exactly what way is doing yeah in, in a lot of ways frankly if it comes down to a vote uh Wei Yun and Golducat are going to force an issue one way and then it looks like Odo, you know, at the very least that like those are the kind of things that can happen if Odo is not careful.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Goldukat because we need to talk about the scene with Goldukat oh, and Kira
0: because... That's his most sadistic we've ever seen him. Yeah,
1: it... I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it. I think that... I mean, some of this is colored by where Duc- Galticott goes in the yeah. future. Um, I feel like his desire for Kira mm. is getting a little over the top. Yeah,
0: it, it's getting to the point where it's not him just trying. It's one thing if he wants to antagonize and demoralize her. Okay, that that's one thing. But it does seem like there are some actual... I don't know. He's obsessed with her in a way that annoys. Uh, a noise isn't the right word. He's obsessed with her in a way that kind of. I don't know. It's it's if that's his f- tragic flaw, that's going to ultimately bring him down in the end. That's stupid.
1: Yeah, and why Kira? Like what? Like what is really.
0: I mean, it's they're trying to have a an arch nemesis antagonism. I mean, I know
1: why Kira because she's on the show, but it, it is a little
0: like again. I think he thinks that she's his arch enemy. You know, she's the only one. You know, she's always been there at every turn. He's been trying to do anything, and he does have a fascination with her as. When he does say we already do have an intimate relationship, creepy as that line is, it's not untrue.
1: Well, to me, too, it is one of those weird things, because as we'll see in the next episode as well, Kira is still stationed on on Deep Space Nine. Um, But but why? Like, you know, she could always just ask for reassignment. It's not like she needs to be there. You know, I don't you know, I think that the, the, the unspoken question at the heart of the episode, of course, is. The Cardassians in the Dominion have have retaken Deep Space Nine, now Terok Nor again, yeah. and have are they administering it themselves? There are no Bajorans uh, uh at least at the beginning of the episode in any position of power except for Kira. What is Kira's role there? Does she have an official role? Is she you know officially the same thing that she was at the beginning of the show, which is the Bajoran uh uh you know, liaison to to Starfleet? If so. She doesn't need to be there. I mean, Bejor can yeah. can send someone else. And so to me, it's 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 a little... Obviously, she's not going to leave the station because Nana Visitor and, and Kira
0: need to be on the yeah. show. But but I mean, you know, to... Uh, and I think we need to talk a little bit about her plot in the next episode to kind of make this make sense, but... Yeah, we, we can
1: talk about Kira in a minute, but I, there's one other thing that I want to talk about, which is that... Um, and there's really... I mean, there's not much to talk about with this, but it, it, it behooves us to mention it, which is that... Um, They do go on this secret mission. They do succeed, right? Yeah. And at the end of the episode, they are dead in the water, essentially. Um, And then, of course, and this is why it's a good bridge for the next episode, because then, of course, when the next episode starts... They're dead. They're they're not dead in the water anymore, but they're in trouble. They're dead the, the in the water. The episode, you know, starts out exactly where it left. Yeah, you no, know, it's a little bit advanced because, of course, they have been able to fix the ship a little bit. But, but it's
0: it's it's no it's no more of a break than if we just had a commercial.
1: Yeah, exactly. Which is, I think, a big change for the show. Yes. Um, but yeah, let's let's talk about Kira then, because I think in rocks and shoals, this is a very, in a lot of ways, this is Kira's episode.
0: I guess so. At least uh, the DS9 portions are Kira. The DS9
1: portions are Kira, certainly.
0: Um, I thought it was interesting because the first scene we see her, she wakes up at five and the way the cut is made, it looks like she just walks right out to, you know, her handlers and, you know, goes to work. And, you know, I remember thinking, oh, she doesn't even shower or anything. And she spends the episode with her hair fucked up and just very depressed and it's like, oh, no, Kira hasn't been showering or, or doing any – or really – taking care of herself yeah and that makes suddenly this much more a much more difficult episode i think to a uh, to a degree cisco ends saying all right stay here wait i'll be back and she's just kind of there and i think she just loses all of her morale and just kind of doesn't have anywhere to go really and just does where would she go what is she she just she thinks she has to stay she's using the Cisco told us to stay as kind of an excuse for not making action because I think she's just so beaten down and it isn't until, you know, she sees this Vedic kill herself that she kind of wakes up at the end of the episode.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean – I find Kira's storyline in this episode to be to be extremely. Um, I mean, it's sad. Difficult, know? yeah. I mean, she's got a Cardassian giving her Rack to Gino in the morning,
0: and she's thanking him just in a way like the scene when she looks around and she doesn't have and walks out. She doesn't have any dialogue, but you, it, you know, she's just thinking, "I fucking said thank you to that guy every day, and I smiled when he gave me a coffee, and he was Cardassian, you know." Like, I think what's
1: most difficult for Kira. Is that a lot of what Kira has been dealing with over the past five years has been her kind of, I mean, I'm going to say dehumanizing because there's no other word for it, but dehumanizing of of Cardassians. Yeah. Which she had to do, right, during the resistance. And, you know, she certainly has come to to be able to identify Cardassians as individuals and ones that she likes. She likes Zial. Um, even though Zial is not fully Cardassian. No. She is Cardassian, or at least part Cardassian. Um, I don't think she likes Garrick, but she she appreciates him as an individual. Mm. And also, um, you know, her her surrogate father as well. Yeah. So I, I, I think that she is coming to terms with that. And then, of course, you know, once this happens and she's been living with... What I really like about this, too, is that Rocks and Shoals, the Kara storyline, does a great job of making the passage of time feel very lived in and very real. And, you know, it really does feel like it's been three months that she's kind of going through this. Stuff yeah. And you feel her, her just exhaustion at this. She's
0: been on autopilot for the past she, Yeah, exactly. And, yeah.
1: I mean, she's essentially going and just kind of being very depressed and quarks with Odo. I mean, she probably. that's probab- what she's doing.
0: And you talk about what is her job. She probably doesn't have a job of much responsibility or import. Probably she's just doing administrative stuff while drinking aractigeno. So, you know.
1: Right, and and so she's looking around, and she's kind of, I think, being confronted with the fact that Cardassians once again are are this kind of just just nebulous uh, force to her, and they're kind of this this gray thing that is just
0: there again. And I think she's disappointed in that, and disappointed in herself for not. Be, at the, she begins the. It's interesting because she's gone through the past few episodes, past few seasons learning the Federation lessons of respect for everybody and, you know, dignity and individuals and all of that. And I mean, the Federation is at war with the Dominion. Diplomacy between the Federation and the Dominion has utterly, utterly failed. And so that that is why Federation modes of being are not working for her right now, are leading to her into a position that she ultimately begins to realize may be an error, that you know, if, if even the Federation is fighting back against the Dominion, to not fight back against them maybe is to accept them. Well, that's right.
1: Yeah, I think that's a good point because what that reminds me of is something that I always talk about, which is that, you know, most of what the Federation Starfleet is, is a- believing that everyone is acting in good faith and that, you know, people and organizations acting in good faith uh, will make things okay. And I think that's what Kira is trying to do in Rocks and Shoals. She's she's been very influenced by the Starfleet Federation way of doing things, and it's not working because the Dominion, yeah. by its very nature,
0: is not acting in is good not
1: faith. acting in good faith. And this whole thing about the non aggression treaty and sending uh, a Vorta, uh, you know, uh, a Vorta to to Bejor to kind of like do a trade agreement, you know, stuff like that. You know, Kara is kind of, I think. She knows what the real score is, because by the end of the episode, they're setting up this resistance, and who knows where that's going to go. But, I mean, I know, but, you know, (laughs) uh, you don't know. Um, Spoiler alert, they blow up Deep Space Nine. Wow! No. Um, But it is one of those things where you look at it and you say, you know, Kira is very disappointed in herself during this whole episode. And it takes this Vedic you know, hanging herself on the promenade. That was a which hell of is, a scene. Yeah. Like, did you expect that? No.
0: <laughs> it is one of those scenes. Wait, which... when she appeared at the balcony of the promenade, I said, oh shit. And I knew what was going to happen, but <laughs> up till then, no. Well,
1: what's yeah, oh, yeah. And I mean, what's great about it is the scene that precedes that, which is, you know, this Vedic Yassim and Kara in Kara's quarters. And Kara's trying to talk sense into her. Yeah. And the Vedic is basically taking the Kira role. Yeah. And she's saying, no, this is evil. You need to fight evil. Mm. You need to, you know. And Kira's like, well, you know, do you really need to? I mean, they're not that Uh, bad. uh, And we uh, have a non-aggression treaty with them. And everything's fine. And the Vedic's like, no, they're evil. They're evil. They're evil. They're evil.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've seen Kira go to, we've seen Kira grow up and certainly grow up from when she was a teenager in the Shakar. And You know, go further behind desks and stuff like that, and she's she's got—this is a version where she's gotten too okay in the desk role and too removed and realizing that, no, maybe Kira's final form isn't, you know, just an administrator but is a rebellion leader. That's really what she's—if you want to take the past, you know, her entire life up to this point, that's what she's being trained to do. To lead the resistance against against these people,
1: yeah, that could be, you know, certainly. And I think the other part of that as well is is that uh, the entire stuff about, as we talked about last week, the entire thing about the non aggression treaty and the locusts you know, going past Bejor, yeah. going to Cardassian, and all that kind of stuff, um, you know, was really about keeping Bajor's options open. And Bajor's last resort was to sign this non aggression treaty with, with the Dominion. Time. They're buying time. Yeah, this and, is not anything that I think Kira really thinks is no. going to last forever. And Bejor will certainly, you know, at some point, you know the, the you know the cavalry will ride in at some point. Deep Space Nine will be the will yeah. be the Federations again, at least for for that period of the show. But I think he
0: was realizing that, you know, the the Federation will take as long as they're going to take. Uh, or- better to better to create a resistance force that's going to back them up when they're there and that's going to undermine as much as they can because they're going right. to either e- if while they're waiting the dominion is just is looking for new ways to get that minefield out and is going to figure out other ways of getting ketracel and maybe going to get other uh species to fight for them and and I and
1: I think what's yeah sure and I think what's what's most poignant about it is you know something that ties into the last episode as well which is that how much of a priority for Starfleet is Bejor really yeah. at this point? You know, not not much, and you know certainly deep space nine and Bejor is still priority for Cisco, and yes. I think Kira knows that, and I think that's probably the only reason why Kira is staying there. But you know, Starfleet has reassigned Cisco. Starfleet has uh, taken him off the Defiant at this point. He's now on this other mission. You know, now, of course, at the end of this episode, we haven't really talked about the Cisco stuff and all that other plot line yet, but, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with them, but at this point, they've pretty much moved on, and it is something where I think Kira realizes that the war is not going well,
0: and Bajor is
1: not a priority. It's not going to be a priority for a long time.
0: It's true. They're not a Federation planet, and, you know, the Federation can't even get its own, uh, Ducks in a row because the war is going badly. Yeah, it's going extremely badly. Again, there, there's not unlimited resources, but.
1: Now, of course, they are they are working smartly. I mean, yes. the Federation does have a couple of advantages, which is that, you know, they did mine the wormhole. So, and so they, they the destroyed domin- the they, Ketracel. They, they oh. destroyed the Ketracel and they also destroyed the shipyard mm. at the end of um, uh, A Call to Arms.
0: Yeah, so basically, you know, the Federation has their resources and their supplies, but the Dominion can't resupply itself, which. You know i I find all of the gem I find the gemidar biology pretty interesting, but I think it's 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 confirmed. Let's say that it can't just be synthesized anywhere. You know, they they can't build a. It was a Ketracel supply place, not a Ketracel, uh making place uh, is the implication, right? I don't
1: – no, I don't think so. I think it was one of their – I think it's both.
0: Okay. Yeah. Because my head – you know my head headcanon for the gem hadar is that they were a species that maybe tried to fight back against the Dominion and as their punishment were turned into this. So I wonder almost if Ketracel white is something synthesized on their homeworld or something.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't think we ever really find out. But so it, that
0: that's not really – it's – not really a part of the series. But. Not really, and it's well, that's okay. Of, I have fan theories. So. There
1: you go. Well, I mean, let's talk about the the, the plotline on the planet then, because I mean, aside aside from the fact that it's so perfect and 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 coincidental that there's a nice M class planet for them to crash on. Oh well, uh, you know. But of course, they would all be dead. and The show would be over if that Yay. was the case. Uh, it, it is a nice inversion of the ship. I think it does speak to the ways in which the show has moved on from trying to find common ground. You know, Cisco. I mean, it is still Star well, yeah. Trek. Cisco is still trying to find common ground. He knows that the are. I mean, the Vorda Kiva, what is his name, Kivan, I think, wow. is not oh, going to, he doesn't trust the Vorda. He's he a snake. Well, oh. yeah, he uh, totally is. I you know?
0: think he's, the, well, he's this, the, the Vorta from the ship. We still don't really know what her deal quite was. Uh, she you, was Elvira. Well, Wei Yun uh, puts up the facade sometimes, but this guy doesn't even like his last look at Cisco in the end of this episode. He could not give less of a shit about the fact that Cisco finds him utterly contemptuous. Like he just doesn't care. He doesn't care. Cisco isn't real to him.
1: Well, I think that's what's uh, you know it is something that's I mean it is something that's very Star Trek about it though. Is that you know it is Star Trek and it's subverting Star Trek at the same time because. You know, if this was Picard, Picard would try yeah. and reason with the Vorta, and Cisco's like, "I'm not doing any of that. Mm-hmm. I, I've had experiences with Vorta. I don't like them. I don't think they're trustworthy. I, you know, would not, uh, uh you know, turn my back on one." And he does try and come to some sort of agreement or un- yeah. understanding well, with the Gem Hadar. And what's so sad about it is. The Jem'Hadar is just not willing to go there with him. Well,
0: th- we've. Tr- this is not the first time Cisco or somebody has tried that. There have been several times when somebody has uh, Odo and the and the baby one. Um, there have been several times that people have tried to reason with Jem'Hadar, and they've come so close yeah. every time. The Jem'Hadar always look like they're going to begin to see reason, uh, and then they just don't, and they stay in their ways, and I guess that's the heartbreaking part because everybody gets really close. Um it's it, y- 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 the Vorda and again my my view for the Vorda is that they were probably a species that welcomed the Dominion. That they were probably the Cardassians or the Ferengi of of the Gamma Quadrant and so were rewarded with all of this cloning technology and you know they're the they're the founders' mouthpieces, you know. And Sisko sees them as people who have utterly sold themselves out for this evil force, and so they have no morals to speak of. Their soul is a negative hole for him. The Jem'Hadar maybe – I mean he almost sees them as – he really wants to make them see the light. He thinks they just haven't been converted yet, but that they could be. And if they don't quite have honor and reason the way a Klingon does, uh, for example, they have the potential for that.
1: Well, yeah, and I also think that, that what it really comes down to as well, I mean, aside from all the genetic manipulation stuff, which, you know, you could yeah. you know, take or leave, really, um, although we do have to accept it because the show does say that it happened and exists. Yes. But really, I think what it, what, what it comes down to as well is that I think Cisco realizes that the Vorta have much more to lose than the Gem are. Mm. You know, the Vorta, I mean, you know, I, I don't know how happy Vorta are, but it doesn't seem like they're in positions of power. They, you know, get to be in charge. You know all that kind of stuff. They're they're not doing too badly,
0: right? Every, every, whereas, out of everybody on DS Nine, right at this moment, Wei Yun is living the largest. Yes.
1: Whereas you know the Gem Hadar are essentially live action weapons. I mean, there's no. Yeah, reason for them to exist that is not fighting and dying for the Dominion. And Cisco is trying to convince him that there's more to life than that because I think he sees an opportunity there. Mm. Now he hasn't been able to succeed yet. Maybe he will at some point in the future. We don't know, but it is a a question at the heart of, I think how the show is treating the gem Hadara, which is that it is, there is a sadness to them. Yeah. yeah, They certainly are a very proud species and they certainly have their own culture and their own beliefs, but they're also not willing to they're not evolve if they're told. Well, yeah, but I think it's like if they're told that someone is the enemy, then they're the enemy Mm -hmm. and that's it. Right. And there's nothing to be gained by talking to them. Although this guy Ramatoclon does talk to, to Cisco at least.
0: Well, I, yeah. And I think it's interesting the way that when, when, when he tells Cisco, I've been ordered to bring you home. That's good enough for Cisco. You know, he 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 knows that this Jem'Hadar will do everything in his power to follow that order. Yeah, a- and you know, he can't trust the word of a Vorta, but he can trust the order of a Gemhadar.
1: And I think that Jem'Hadar does respect that to some yes. degree. You know, I think Ram- Ramatiklan does respect that. You know, and respects Cisco. I think that he Cisco
0: knows... understands uh, the the Vorta understand how to use the Jem'Hadar. Uh, but I think Cisco understands the Gemhadar a little bit, or at least has more of a glimmering of understanding of what's going on in their minds.
1: Yes, well, because I don't think that the Vorta really understand the Gemhadar, and uh, you know, the other thing too is that we do get a little bit of a glimpse into, you know, what the Vorta Gemhadar relationship is like. Mm-hmm. You know, which we haven't really seen before that much. I mean, we have seen that the whole ritual of the white with Wayun, yeah. from the the end of um, I think it was the fourth season. And they also – but we find out more in this episode, which is that there is this thing about the Vorda and the Jem'Hadar having this kind of combative relationship. They don't really like each other. They don't, other. don't like no, each No, no, well, they don't
0: the, – the, 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 Vorda,
1: the Vorda only exists. The, the Jem'Hadar do not kill the Vorda because the Vorda have the white. Yeah. And – the Jem'Hadar need the white to live. If I mean, the
0: if the Jem'Hadar are out of white, as is the case that we see in, in, in this situation, they'll turn upon the Vorda in their madness, and yeah.
1: But I think that they will. They do say though in this episode that it is you know it is you know when Cisco and Ramatoklan are having that conversation about kind of turning on on Kivan, essentially, and you know Ramatoklan says, "Well, it's it's not unknown to happen that that yeah. a Jem'Hadar will murder a Vorda, but." it's not something that it's very kind of hush hush they don't talk about
0: it yeah i mean we 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 know that rogue jemhadar exist and that's you know and we know the contempt that they feel for them
1: but it's not even that they're rogue it's more that i don't think that the jemhadar really care about the vorda but they it's almost like another part of their conditioning that they don't
0: well it seems like you know, the, the, it's it's literally biting the hand that feeds them, right? Um, right. The, you know, most you know most people in, in our society. Well, you you wouldn't just flip the fuck out at your boss for no reason, you know? You well, would, you might not, but it, <laughs> but people who do. I'm go, unemployed. I need a job. <laughs> but I mean, that's exactly und- that's exactly making my point. Somebody who you know freaks out and you know. Curses out their boss, you know, or whatever we think of them. That's not a sane thing to do. That's not the right thing to do. I right. Mean. And that's how, in a way, the Jem Hadar think about someone who turned on the Vorda. Well, See someone feeding you white? Why would you ever do that?
1: Yeah, yeah. But I think it is—it is interesting that the show keeps finding uh, Jem Hadar that will question the
0: Vorta and will
1: question what they're told. Because well,
0: the maybe that means that questioning the Vorta and what they're told isn't as rare as they would like you to believe. Um, that could also be the case. It's very clear that there is there is a lot of fear keeping both parties in check, and that it doesn't what i think is this when when one of the gemadar fires on the federation because he's just so itchy from the withdrawal and afterwards they're talking to the Vorda and the board is like well which one it was it i i've disciplined him that doesn't matter which one was it i've oh, given yeah. you an order and he says he finally says you know look the way of things is that you order me and i take care of my men you can discipline me but i you can't discipline them that's going against the rules and f- i think implicit in that is a threat that if the vord is going around uh, uh, along the end of things that's a problem like a discipline worthy problem
1: but it also indicates that even as far down you know even at the end of the rope as they are yeah you know the Jem'Hadar running out of white the, the vorda is dying um, there, there is still a vestigial respect for, for the rules that well, yeah. is there.
0: Well, because that rule protects them in a way. Yeah. Obviously, if he were to tell the Vorda which one did it, he would. the Vorda would have ordered him killed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but that makes it clear that there are things which the two do inhabit different spheres, just as there's plenty of shit that the Vorda knows that he's not telling the Jem'Hadar. There's stuff going on with the Gemhadar that they don't tell their Vorda. Yeah. They don't tell their Vorda everything. And so – Orgies. Uh, aw. Uh, Jem'Hadar orgies. Jem'Had orgies. That's why they have no interest in women. Um, yeah. So I, I, I get – and frankly, I, I get the sense that if more Jem'Hadar feel this way, they are either aren't talking to the, each other. And if they are, they're keeping it really
1: secret. I don't think that the Dominion or the founders would allow a Hadar Facebook. No. <laughs> like, I don't think that exists. <laughs> the Jem'Hadar are not texting each other. Aww. Yeah, no, I think that that's true to a large degree. I mean, you know, really the Hadar that we've seen so far, you know, we know that they don't have sex. We know that they don't have families that are grown in vats. Uh, they have no family ties. It doesn't seem like they really have... Um, Friendships, as we would understand them, although there is a respect and there is sort of a, a camaraderie in the there in the unit, but that's really the extent of it, you know. And so it doesn't seem like different different hadar in different units really ever talk to each other that much. So yeah. it, you know, in a sense, you know, it's it's one of those things where you look at it and you say the founders probably think that Vorta and gem and Jem'Hadar are interchangeable um but they're not but they're kind of maybe that's the founders weak spot as well. Yeah. And that's kind of the other thing as well is that well, the, the founders are sort of like MIA at this point.
0: Like, and, and and I mean, it may it makes sense in a way that the dominion wouldn't the founders wouldn't necessarily understand yeah. individual because their concept within their own species of individuality is a little that is, blurred yeah. in in ways that they aren't with us and they are working on a hierarchy is of us the vorda maybe the gem hadar and everybody else or everybody yeah. has their role in their org charts and they're in a way you know the company president and you know does he know the secretary no
1: yeah yeah that is true yeah well, a couple other things that I want to mention, just a couple little funny things. Um, I love that they're still keeping with the uh, heating up the rocks with phasers yes. for, for, for a fire. Back uh, from the original back series. Back from the original series. I always love that. Uh, Dax is sidelined again because they're doing more location shooting, and Terry Farrell had very, very fair skin, oh. uh, so that's why she was injured again.
0: <laughs> oh, I was wondering. I was worried about her.
1: Yeah, whenever they go on location, Dax always gets injured. <laughs> <laughs> She's fine. Don't worry.
0: Uh, she was just going to get a massive case of sunburn. Otherwise, uh, well, that, yeah,
1: that's pretty much it. <laughs> um, and then the last thing I want to mention is that this episode does a really good job of, uh, kind of showing how out the, how at the end of the rope everyone is. I mean, mm. at the very beginning of the episode, like the damn thing is broken again. And the, you know, and, uh, but there's still some humor there, you know, where O'Brien is like, God damn it. I ripped my pants. Yeah. And everyone's they did. like, well, I
0: really did it now. Garrick's like, oh, I left my sewing kit at home. Yeah. Um.
1: Although I do have a question. I don't know that O'Brien would say pants. Hmm.
0: I think he would say trousers. I I was hoping you wouldn't have pointed that that out. That is
1: not true to Ah. the spirit of who O'Brien is as an Irishman.
0: Well, my potatoes have spotted. Oh, that is Uh, very
1: offensive. I
0: know. Um, I love Cisco's reaction at the end. Like at the end of the ship, Obviously he lost more people on the ship. that was a longer period of time that they were stuck in there. There was a lot more psychological things yeah around, yeah, yeah but yeah. he was absolutely devastated at the end at the end of this he's just fucking pissed off that it had to be this he's yeah. just he just thinks you know the low this vorta is the lowest scum of the earth to him, and he's just. Fucking fed up about
1: it. Yeah, because now he's got to deal with this asshole, and he doesn't want to deal. With that. Uh, yeah,
0: and again, that's the and there's no way he could punish him because he's looked at the Vorta looked at all of his possible options and decided that life in a Federation prison was probably the cushiest one out there, and he's right, you know. Yeah, and
1: I, I would like to. Be, I mean, I'm sure a Federation prison is nicer than my apartment. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no. It, 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 Cassie Yates spent six months there, and you know, emerged totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, they, he lost one of they lost one one of the uh, security people for no fucking reason. Yeah, I mean, it was just a it was just stupid.
1: Yeah, and yeah. the whole the whole thing. Essentially. Uh, yeah, Cisco knows that it's stupid.
0: Yeah, and you know what? Once. Once he sees that the Jem'Hadar isn't going to take his offer of, you know, because Cisco does make a very his plan of, you know, we can sedate you, we can put you on medical stasis, we'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, let's face it; they performed surgery on the Vorta, they cured him, so they're going to do what they can for Gemhadar, and that he doesn't take it, and then they have to do this. You know, he knows what the end of the episode is going to be at that point.
1: Yeah, yeah. We'll have to see what happens. It leaves
0: it it in a
1: good place. Well, not really a
0: good place for anybody. Well, you know. Nobody on this show right now has what they want. Um, Yes, I think you're right. (laughs) Because let's face it, even. I don't know. Golducott kind of does. Not necessarily, because he's got Wei Yun breathing down his neck about why isn't the minefield done.
1: Oh, that's true. You know,
0: and, and, you know, now there's Bajoran's security forces back. He's not allowed to really retake Bajor. Like, again, Golducott is starting to realize I don't actually have as much power as I quite wanted. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Golducott had a one night stand that turned into a relationship, and he's like, this was a really bad idea. Uh, 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 uh." I don't think I like this. But we'll see what happens with all of this. It's very exciting times on on Trekabout. Well, if you have any thoughts on either of the episodes we just discussed, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trekaboutshow.com. You can give us some money. You can support us uh, monthly for our recurring costs. Like our hosting and things of that nature at Patreon.com/truckaboutshow. And if you would like to help us out with some equipment that we need, if you do not want to give us a monthly donation, we also understand that as well. Uh, if you want to throw us a buck or five bucks or two bucks or ten bucks or twenty bucks or say two hundred bucks, mm. you can do so at GoFundMe.com/truckaboutshow where we have uh, some goals up for getting some new equipment that we need. We're also on social media: Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Truck About Show. And we also have another podcast, Tuning In, which the ninth episode is being released just in two days on the Firefly episode, Ariel. We are getting to the end of Firefly. And if you've been enjoying it, thank you very much. And if you have not listened to it, check it out. And uh, we're going to be revealing what we're going to do next on Tuning In in a few weeks. So you don't want to miss that. Now, usually we will give you the uh, next episodes, but we have some feedback (gasps) this week. We have a review to read, and we also have two very nice
0: emails. Okay. Do one email, the review, and then the other email. Okay. I'll do that. It's like a sandwich.
1: So I won't read the whole thing. Uh, This is from Adam, and uh, he said that he really liked the patron episode we did on Star Trek 25th anniversary. Told you. So that was really nice. Thank you, Adam, for that. Um, He did say that he has played Judgment Rights. He didn't recall any space battles. Sounds like they eliminated a lot of the more annoying elements of the first game for the sequel. So that's good to know. Maybe we could play it. Maybe we'll play it. Uh, And he also has a uh, suggestion for us. Okay. He says that he'd be interested at some point in hearing us dissect William Shatner's acting style if we're interested in doing that. So... We could also talk about his music. I don't know that we have the technical knowledge to critique William Shatner's acting, but then again i'm not sure that william shatner does either (laughs) so maybe we will do that at some point on a patreon episode so thank you very much for that adam we do appreciate that hooray now the review this is from picky penelope and it's long so i will not read the whole thing it's a similar format a couple folks watch a show and kibitz about it maybe it's a new show maybe it's an old one but the general style of this type of podcast remains similar a couple things that trek about apart from the pack first eric is a trekkie who is guiding richard through star trek for mostly the first time this is not a completely original approach, but it works well for the show as it gives some focus to the conversation and helps them to keep things moving. Yeah, it does. Next, both of our hosts are gay. We are. I think so.
0: Okay. I mean, I know I am. Well, I know. I, are you? I am. What? I finished my sentence.
1: Okay. Next, both of our hosts are gay. So what? I've been saying that for years. But having listened to many Star Trek podcasts, I confess that it is refreshing to listen to one that isn't constantly telling me how hot some female actors are. I have to say, by the way, Nina Visitor's butt is looking real fine, especially unshowered. I, I can't. No, I can't even pretend to do that. I have never looked at her, butt. it's just a nice change. Also, the fact that their gait has also seemed to inform their perspective on many of the episodes and character interactions. That's very Nice. Very, very nice. Thank you so much for that. One of my favorite podcasts and give it a listen. So it's very nice. If you want to read the whole review, it's mm-hmm. up there. It's a little longer than that. How can people write their own? They can go to iTunes, search for Trek about and give us a review. We would appreciate it. We will read it. Yes. Now we'll talk about the next email. This one is from a tanga or a I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Uh, who says, I'm a big fan of your show and finally got around to supporting you on Patreon because of your response to that iTunes review that called you out
0: on bashing straight people. So, yeah. So aren't we glad we did that? That earned us money. Thank you, DJ Skin So Smooth, for you. I I, I, I thought it was Skin So Smooth this entire time. No, it's smooth. With a V. Yeah, it's smooth, yeah. I read it the other day.
1: Yeah. Uh, And he says, that aside, I do want to take this opportunity to say that you guys are really wonderful. I'm a lifelong Star Trek fan, a minority, and generally nerdy introvert. Your show has been my favorite with a U. I think he's a foreigner as well. Which is fine. It's fine. I-D-I-C. Your show has been my favorite part of going back to work after the weekend for a long time now. There's really nothing else out there like the kind of commentary and humor and production values that you two
0: put out. And if you'd like listeners, for those production values to continue, you should look at our GoFundMe.
1: Which you can find at GoFundMe.com slash trackaboutshow. Because these mics ain't cheap. (laughs) So thank you very much for that that email, Tanga. Thank you very much for that email, Adam. And thank you very much for that review. Picky something. I've already closed it. Picky
0: Penelope. There you go. And anyway, all three of you, thank you for your comments. And thank you for your continued listening. We love you.
1: Yes, well, I don't know if I'll go that far. I don't give my love out as easily as Richard, but I have I will so say much love to give that I will appreciate you. And you know, if you want to send us an email, trackaboutshow at gmail dot com. Why not? You can send us an email. I guess
0: we'll read it on the air. Maybe if it's good, or if we have something to say about it. All right, next yes, week. Yes, we, there are things that we have nothing to say about in the world. That happens.
1: It does happen.
0: Yeah, I, I don't have like much to say about say baseball. Mm. Well, when I told you Kenny Baker died, you're like, who? Oh, okay.
1: Yeah, that's true. Well, next week we are going to be talking about the episode's Sons and Daughters, which is the return of a character that we have not seen in a long time, Ah. and Richard's going to be very, very upset. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And Behind the Lines. So we'll talk to you then.